My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. As you know, this season is about entrepreneurial renegades, people who break the rules, and we have somebody today who, I mean, he breaks many a rule in order to make content, which is extraordinarily viral. He is a guy who has 1.1 million followers on TikTok, 50 million likes, a couple hundred thousand followers on Instagram, a bunch of Twitter followers, all these followers. And he's just kind of a big deal. He's the kind of person that like, the more I ask people if they know him, they seem to know him. And his name is Walter Masterson. And we're going to talk with Walter about, you know, what it's like to build a career on social media. Now, if you don't know Walter, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a comedian who interviews people in the vein of Sasha Baron Cohen and Vintage Colbert. He travels around the country interviewing people for comedy, but winds up documenting history. In fact, one of his most famous interviews was on the steps of Capitol Hill on January 6th. And it was actually important evidence that the FBI used, and it was actually shown during the January 6th hearings. I remember when I saw that, I was like, holy mackerel, that is insane. Now, you can find out more about his work at youtube.com slash Walter Masterson. You can find him at Walter Masterson on TikTok and Instagram and other socials. The reason why I want to have him on the show is because I've known Walter for years. I knew him back when he was working on web series and he was a real estate agent and just trying to make it as an actor in New York. And then one day, I just remember watching, I guess, his Instagram and social media, and he started to like kind of blow up and become this big deal and then getting TV spots. And he kind of created this whole career, which he's doing today. So I want to talk to him about that, what it takes to become big on social media. I want to talk about the social pressures of this. We're going to get into the whole thing about like, it looks great. Of course, classic FOMO versus reality, but doing this work is super hard. A lot of pressure, a lot of stress, mentally taxing. We're going to talk about, you know, can you make money? Because again, Everybody thinks if you have millions of followers, all of a sudden you are rolling in dough, but it's not easy. And Walter will unpack what it takes to monetize and, you know, what are the challenges? Now, my small ask of the week, and this is a small one because compared to Walter, I don't have that many followers. But if you aren't following me on socials, go find it. Go check it out at Patrick J. McGinnis on Instagram, at PJ McGinnis on Twitter, Engage with me there because what is so cool is a lot of you reach out with thoughts, ideas, suggestions, things you love, things you hate, and I write back. Those of you who've written me know that, and it's so helpful for me to know what you like about the show, what you don't like, what we can do better. All right, thank you for considering, and now on to the interview. As you know, I ask every person on the show the same question, and Walter is no different, so I started our conversation by asking him this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Well, as a, a creator, I actually say this to a lot of people. The, it was a huge breakthrough for me where I saw the other 
online creators of all genres. And I thought, what's the difference between me and them? And you know, the, the difference between me and them is they've made more content. They've produced more, they've, they've shot more, they've made more. They've made hundreds of videos. So let me close that gap. So I made a decision to make 30 videos in 30 days. This was two years ago. So I said, all right, I'm gonna make 30 videos in 30 days. In, in 30 days, I had made 23 videos. And then I said, well, you know what? I, I, didn't, I didn't complete my task. Let me recommit for the next month. And then I said, look, let me do this again, right? Next, and so my, and the, the funny thing is like my, like my 30th and 31st video went viral. And then I capitalized off of that. And it was, and uh, so I, I'd had this commitment. Well, like, let me make a video a day. Every video, let me, do, you know, and the quality is going to suffer, right? And the, the funny thing is when I look back, a lot of, some of my best work was made out of necessity. There was this, there's a series I used to do. I don't do it anymore. It's this thing where I would walk by Trump Tower in the morning drinking coffee and I'd scream at Trump Tower. At the time, it was hysterically funny. It seemed pretty ballsy and it would relate to the news cycle. So that was just born out of necessity. I, I had to go to work. I was working real estate at the time. I had a very limited window to make content. So, well, you know, I have to meet this client in exactly one hour on the other side of town. And, uh, and so I thought, well, there's this cool, I, I thought of this funny thing where I thought, you know, those like motivational people you see online and it, it's kind of just, you know, satirical. They sort of, they're like sort of over the top. So I thought, let me do this morning routine of like best practices to start, you know, have an effective day and seize. So it was like, every, so I, I just grabbed an iced coffee and I go, Every morning before the stock market opens, I drink my iced coffee, then I speak to the president. And then you see me just screaming at Trump Tower as if I'm talking directly to him, and then I keep going, drinking my iced coffee, like a literal insane person. And I go, oh, ready to start my day, right? And, it, you know, it started, it became this iconic thing. I was the guy that yelled at Trump Tower every day. And, but it was born out of just, I had... Oh, an hour to shoot a video and I had to commute to work to go meet a client and show them stuff. And, you know, and there was a, there was a lot of videos that were similar to that early on, you know, so it was, you know, back to your original question, it was just making, you know, it's a commitment to creating stuff once one video every day, you know, I don't need to have the same standards now, but at the time that was something that, that worked and it was a commitment to just create, create, create. And, you know, cre and create, even though it would be pretty bad. A lot of the stuff I made early on was, you know, not good. But you know what? Make it anyway. And, you know, I think that was the best part. It's the best yeah. thing about early on. No one, no one knows who you are in the beginning anyway. So, like, you know, if you're going to write that, write that book, write, the th write that novel, make that film. No one's going to criticize it because you're not famous. No one knows who you are. Yeah, the cost of failure is very low. And it's, you know, I think about from the podcaster perspective, like I remember reading when I got into this whole thing, it's like the average podcast goes for nine episodes and then there was never another one because people don't commit. If you're going to start something like this, nobody gets viral. Nobody hits it in the beginning. You just got to be like 
ready to just do it for a while. And maybe after our three years, if you haven't got anything, like maybe it's time to move on or a year or whatever. But in the beginning, you just got to put stuff out there. Now, I want to go back. I was I did a deep deep dive on your social media as I was preparing for this. And I I want to go back. You joined TikTok in August of 2019. Tell tell us about Walter Masterson's life in August 2019. Like what was what was going on? What were you up to? Because we're going to talk about what happened after, but let's just set the stage. That so there was this new app called TikTok. It was, it was uh, previously it, it had morphed from being this app where young teenage girls would uh, lip sync to songs, right? And it, I had dabbled in that, but I I felt a little weird being in that space. This was for children, and it. It was like okay, this is not this this is not okay, right? Like I'm not too old to make content on the internet, but like let me not let me stay away from this. And then, but now it was TikTok. It was it reminded me of the early days of Vine, and I thought, well, let me make comedic content for this. And so I, you know, I did, and it was. I guess it took me a while to sort of find my voice, you could say, because I was just making stuff that I thought was just funny. Like, is this funny? And, you know, is this funny? It's a very broad question to, to ask of anything. Cause you know, there's no, there's a very broad perspective. So I was making stuff and yeah, I didn't really have a narrow focus towards it. I think what changed was the pandemic quarantine happened. You know, I'm, I'm a TV and film actor. So there was no, improv classes for me to take there was no auditions for me to go on there was just online content so i was said all right well i need want to express myself creatively i want to do it with this and then eventually it just morphed into you know political comedy and so it had something with like an activist bent around it and that was honestly just a reflection of how i felt at the time you know we were in the middle of quarantine I was what I mean. You were in. I'm in New York City. There are modular morgues set up a few blocks from my house outside of hospitals, and I'm being told by conspiracy theorists that those modular morgues are not real, and what I'm going through right now is not real. So you know, there's a lot of anger towards that, and you know, anger at you know social justice and things like that. So the comedy I made was reflective of just the the deep-seated anger I was holding at the time. Look, deep-seated anger a lot of people were holding at the time and still do. As I look back at your your early early videos, you, you do these like John Mulaney and Christopher Walken impressions and they're, they're good. They also got 3,000 views. And then your first kind of pivot to politics, you did this picture, or sorry, video TikTok with a sign that's sort of like this stretch of the highway is paid for and, and protected by Donald J. Trump and you sort of mock that and you got like 2 million views and then you start to see like it's really cool to look back and see just how virality happens oh yeah what's that feel like when I mean did you when you posted that did you have any sense that it was going to hit or was it just like holy mackerel like what was it tell us take us through like how it played out that's fu- oh yeah that is funny so remember I was saying earlier that I, you do stuff that's born out of necessity. Mm. I was driving by that sign on the highway and I go, you know what? That'd be a funny thing to make fun of. Let me go back there tomorrow. I need to make a video tomorrow. Let me 
let me go back there. And I just, I made the video and, you know, it had juiced the algorithm because people were fighting about it because they thought, well, you start off the video thinking I'm a Trump supporter because I'm complaining that no one is protecting this sign from Antifa vandalizing it. And then you see like an animated infographic instruction on exactly how to reach this sign and what entrance you need to do <laughs> to get to this. So, and, you know, that went, that went viral. And the thing was, well, let, I need to follow this up. You know, I thought, well, when, when something hits, you need to like hit it hard and hit it again and do it again. And I went on this tear for, hmm, that was, because I remember that day, it was June 24th. Because I remember, like, I remember the day I went, I was June 24th. Mm. And I was like, let me, let me just go hard. Let me capitalize on this. This is, I have this moment. And then, and then I made that, you know, started that series where, you know, I walked by Trump Tower. Then I made other videos that I'm known for. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't really give myself a break or take a break um, until sort of the end of August. Because I was just on this high where I said, all right, I, you know, I need to grind on this. I need to capitalize on what I have. And, and, you know, I took a small break then, but then I went really hard for about a year and you know, a year and two months. And then I took a three month break at the end of a year and two months. But I, I remember that you're bringing up a, a video that I, I definitely remember how I felt at the time. And, you know, I, you know, I did not have a particular brand or anything that I'd committed to. My material was very, it was all over the place. You know, it could be political. It could just be very broad. It never committed to one thing specifically. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages, but I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com slash FOMO. That's netsuite.com slash FOMO. 
netsuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. Again, I do my research, even though I know you, we've known each other for ages, but it's like this new I'm side not, yeah, of I've known you for years. Yeah, years and years. Yeah. And so watching this as somebody who just like is your friend and knows you socially and is, you know, you, you made this really, everybody, by the way, go find this thing called Llama Cop, which is still one of my favorite things ever. That is a, <laughs> it's a web series that Walter made, which it's amazing. I just go find it and you will love it. Right. So anyway, watching this happen as somebody who is your friend, I was like, wow. Right. And at the same time, you always know that first of all, the work that this requires is insane. The emotional investment is insane. And also having hit after hit after hit. And I have to imagine this feeling is like, well, okay, I've had the success, but how do I keep it going? Because I want to keep building. And it's like, as somebody who is an actor, you're used to rejection and you're used to, you know, having to deal with a lot of auditions and stuff. And all of a sudden you have the microphone and you have the platform and you're building this for yourself. And there's a lot of pressure. That feels great. That that does feel great after a while because you go, okay, well, this is something that can't be taken away from me. Like Mm. I'm, I decide, I mean, obviously, you know, people can get their accounts banned. You can get things taken down and all of that. I've had that happen before, but, and that is scary, but yeah, there is a great feeling about sort of having some ownership into what you're doing. Oh yeah. That, that's that, a fantastic feeling. How, how does one turn this from a, you know, a, like a, I guess not hobby is not the right word. I want to call it hobby, but how do you go from doing this in your spare time? Like, can you make this a life? Can you, can you live off of this? Or is this, is this about building your presence? Like how does it, it all it work? It is. Yeah. It, it's well, God, I, <laughs> I'm still kind of learning that myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it was, you know, I'd made videos. I was making videos on TikTok and I pivoted to Twitter and Instagram. And then now I'm doing YouTube and, so eventually it just sort of was encroaching on my job just time-wise the time commitment it was taking it was demanding more and more of my time and i Mm. had to leave my job but i really didn't have a safe place to land really i wasn't making that much money um that is kind of the funny thing about the being in the online creator space is that it becomes very fragmented because you're getting, you're deriving income from so many different areas. And until you are sort of at a top higher level, you, you know, you can't really get a steady income from a lot of things. So a lot of, I found the landscape has changed from where I'm, where I'm getting income, where I'm driving income. I mean, when TikTok had a creator program that they started where they're paying creators, they used to pay a lot. Then as their app became very popular, they said, well, we don't really need to pay our creators anything. So they diluted the funds that they were giving people. So those are, you know, I went from making a few thousand off of TikTok each month to making just a few hundred for, you know, very similar results and the like. So that, that landscape is always changing. You know, there's brand deals, there's, there's, there's opportunity and that is always shifting. So you, you know, a lot of times what you want is to sort of use social media and the online creator space to transcend, to get to this next level. I'm still trying to discover what is next level, whether it's selling a show, selling a project and something like that. 
yeah, it's building upon what you have. But I think we, the, what you highlight there is really important is that people think that when you have a huge following that all of a sudden, like, it's just, you know, you're just banking it all the time. And maybe you do if you're like, you know, you have your opening, you know, boxes for a million brands. But probably like a lot of my friends who are big on social media, they get a lot of fringe benefits. Like everybody wants to hang out with you. Everybody sends you free stuff. But the monetization part, that is the part that is 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 harder to unlock and you've got to just build steadily. It's There's not the overnight sort of, people just think it's going to be like you become huge and suddenly you're just like buying a house in Malibu. That's not necessarily the case. Well, it, it's weird. Some some people do. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you have, I know creators that have incredibly large followings that do not make a lot of money. And, they, and yet you find people that just literally pop up out of nowhere and you're like, how do you have this much money? Like, how, what, what do you, what are you doing? So yeah, I, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Um, per, I, personally though, like the content I make sometimes isn't the most brand friendly. And I entered into this knowing that like in the beginning when brands would contact me to work with me, I would look at them like, wait, really? You want to actually work with me? I thought, how am I, <laughs> how is my brand conducive to this, you know, to this liquor product that you're trying <laughs> to sell, but sure, whatever. Um, uh, so it, it, it is kind of random. I mean, sometimes I do wish that I had a branding that was a little bit friendlier towards, you know, people and not as, you know, outwardly pol polarizing. Yeah. It's a trade-off because the polarization though, that I think you tap into something in the content that you make, I mean, that, that really does, as I was just looking at who, who I know that follows you on Instagram or who, and a bunch of people that are like famous people that I follow, follow you. And then some friends of mine who, who, you know, Oh, that, I, that is, I got to talk about that. that yeah. Is like get into that. Cool. No, but that is, so that was like this revelation. Like you go to follow someone that is famous and then it, there's a button that says follow back. Meaning like, no, no, they're, they're like been following you. And then, you know, there was, I'm not going to say the name of this person. There was some famous person and, you know, I had a, I had a friend that was saying, oh, you know, this, it's kind of cool. I, I noticed that this person follows you and I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Who is this person? And I, I actually didn't know who they were. Mm. They're fam They're very well known. And, and then I go, huh, maybe I should send them a message. I go to send them a message and I find out that I've been having a conversation with them for a few months. Like we've just been going back and forth. They would cop, they'd message me and go, oh, I like that video. You know, that kind of reminds me of this. And I go, oh, you know, yeah, you're right. And it was kind of, kind of funny. It's like, oh, well, like we've been talking. Uh, and, but that is cool to, to look at people and go, well, like this person who I admire, you know, is, you know, you know, a, they're an admirer of mine. Like, you know, you, someone you, you know, you've been watching them on TV for decades and all of a sudden you're like, oh, they're a fan. Like that's, that's cool. And there's, uh, cause you get notifications when, on TikTok when that happens. Like if I'm following someone famous and then they follow me back like that, they'll say like, oh, you're friends now. And I'd be like, huh. Yeah. And you're like, like I'm going to okay. slip into those DMs right now. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you get to like have cool conversations with people. Sometimes people are just on some next level where they're like, you're not talking to them about anything. <laughs> FOMO. FOMO. How does it feel? I mean, I'm always curious when you have that kind of, 
you, you know, we, we think about some of that, some of the stats, just to, so, just so people have a sense, like million, we're looking at TikTok here, 1.1 million followers, 50 million likes, 180,000 followers on Instagram, 150K on Twitter. So you got all the platforms. But yet, you know, it's not like, you know, you're going into a crowded theater like an actor on Broadway and you're getting the applause every night. Can it feel lonely? I mean, when a video really hits, like, do you get the same little adrenaline or dopamine hit as you did in the beginning? Or is it more rote now? It's sort of like, well, this is my job. This is what I do. Yes and no. So, I mean, sometimes going viral or hitting the front page of Reddit, you know, I've done that before. So it is cool. It's like, huh. In the beginning, it was something where I couldn't concentrate on anything else because, like, oh well, this is this is happening right now. Like, oh my god. So I, it, it is. I do appreciate those days where I'll just upload something, and I'm so busy or preoccupied that I don't notice how successful something is, and I'm not as obsessive about things and metrics and all of that. I, you know, I will say that there's this sort of people throw around the term influencer, and I. I would say like I'm just above micro-influencer. I kind of feel like when you get above 100,000, you know, followers on something, then you're, you know, before, under that, you're kind of like micro-influencer. So I, I'm sort of a step above a micro-influencer, you know, because I, and I've, I've seen, I've been doing this long enough to sort of see my limitations. I can see the power I have, but I can also see where, you know, the power I don't have to influence things to where, you know, it's like, yes, I can wield, you know, a, you know, large influence, you know, 170,000, 150,000 people. But, you know, I'm aware of the limitations of that, where I can, you know, only do this, I can't do that. So that, you know, I've, I've come up against that firsthand. In the beginning, it was cool as hell. I was like, this is amazing. There's 100,000 people, 150,000 people that just, like my stuff like this is this is weird right like this is like this is is, right and then i started getting recognized in the street that was that felt weird i was like what um yeah then i got recognized at work and i was like okay like i was like this is becoming it's becoming weird you know so but it's still it is still cool you know for like all that stuff to happen now you do you do some pretty kind of I would say confrontational may be the word or, or just very political stuff where you're going and folks go check this stuff out. Like you'll go to a QAnon rally or some sort of QAnon event, or you'll go to like a proud boys rally. You were at the Capitol on January 6th. Like you have been at the front front row for some really intense stuff that can be violent and dangerous for you personally. Yeah, I'd love so to just, the, do you want to yeah. share a story with us of like some, something well, just so people well, have a sense well, so, of what you've been doing? Just, just so everyone that doesn't know me has a sense of what I do, I set out always to make comedy in this vein of like a, you know, Borat, Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, vintage Stephen Colbert thing that, you know, I've always been fans of them and like Tom Green and that type of comedy that was made. So, you know, go to these rallies pretending to be a Trump supporter and I'll talk to them and ask them questions and get them to trip themselves up and, say stupid things. Um, you know, the problem and what winds up happening is I wind up, it winds up becoming journalistic because I wind up being in key places and seeing things that no one else sees. So I went to Capitol Hill on January 6th with the intent of just getting comedy. 
I thought, well, maybe I should get out of there before everything gets a little crazy because, you know, I might get a little crazy. So just, you know, get in, get out. Uh, what I didn't expect to, what happened to happen. I, you know, so I mean, I'd, for those of you who don't know, I'd wound up on the steps of Capitol Hill during everything. And I was witness to all of it. You know, the FBI came and visited me to, you know, ask me for all the footage I had that day. The January 6th commission featured my interview, one of my interviews during, you know, the hearings, which that was trippy. That was, I was just watching the hearings and then I'm seeing myself featured. That was wild. And, you know, but, you know, and I, I go to great lengths to try and tell people, like, I'm not a journalist. I go to make comedy and I, I wind up, you know, it winds up becoming journalistic, but it, that was never the intent. And I would never brand myself as a journalist because investigative journalists do very real work. Um, and the times that I have tried to be journalistic, I've have been massive, massive failures. I mean, I've, because, you know, that's another problem. I have a very big following and reporting something that is not correct or even, you know, slightly incorrect, you know, has very damaging consequences. And there's been times when I've made huge, egregious, egregious errors where it was like, okay, let me not do be any, you know, anything in the term realm of journalistic. So all this is, I mean, pretty high stakes and high pressure and, you know, you've got the pressure of putting out a lot of content, but also you're dealing with a lot of people who are, you know, angry and it can be very confrontational and stressful. And I'm sure you are the subject of every troll in the universe. Oh, yeah, um, no, I, how do you deal with it? I took a three month break about a year ago. Around this time last year, I said, okay, I need a, I need a break. And I took three months and it was, it's like a light, you know, I was kind of on and off for three months, but I, it was, yeah, cause it was a lot to deal with. And I, you know, there's mental health breaks that I had to give myself. And I, I didn't know that in the beginning, I was just going, pushing, going, pushing forward. And, you know, you, you talk to a lot of people, I go to these events, I interview people and their energy gets on you and it affects what it will affect me. So when I go to these events with these crazy people, it's very destabilizing. And, you know, my, my uh, dad's a psychotherapist and I would show him some interviews and he would remark that just watching these interviews are de feel destabilizing mentally. So he said, you know, like these, some of these people are not well and talking to them, that energy is getting on you. Because he would understand that, you know, in what he would have to go through in dealing with a patient that his schizophrenia and how he would not want, you know, those symptoms to transfer onto him and that negative energy. So he would, he's talked about that all the time. Um, so that, you know, and I, I can definitely see that, like it would take several days sometimes to sort of recover from this weird energy that you get. Because you know, sometimes you enter into these rallies, it feels like an alternate universe. The election never happened, COVID never happened. Um, you know, the, the you know, there's we never got to the moon, right? I mean, like you could keep you could go on and on with like things that never happened. <laughs> You're like, okay, this this flies right, and and it's very uh, powerful because you're around 
hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that believe the exact same thing in unison. So you're like, no, okay, this is, this, it's, you sort of feel like you went, you slipped into an alternate timeline, right? And it's sort of this, like you've, you know, you've, you know, you, you feel genetically altered coming out of it. Cause you're like, all right, this, you know, if you feel like gaslit on a whole new level, uh, there, there have been times when I've left, like, uh, like the, I went to every stop the steel rally leading up to January 6th. Each one felt destabilizing the one right before January 6th, the one that they did in December. I left that in tears. I wasn't okay for a few days. I was like, something really bad is going to happen. I mean, I knew this, I still went back on January 6th. I, I mean, I've, you know, my partner asked me, why the hell did you go back if you, you know, felt so badly, you know, the first two times, you know. So, yeah, it, it's, it's destabilizing. Um, it can be uh, dealing with these people. So I, I limit, try to limit exposure. FOMO. FOMO. The interesting thing here, which is crazy, is, and I think this happens to so many creators, and you, that's why you got to draw the line is because the thing that 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 goes viral and the thing that succeeds can often be your undoing because it's the stuff that's really extreme and that you as the creator are putting your own sort of health and well-being on the line there so it's like how do you how do you draw that line is 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 really important if you're going to continue doing it over the long run and it's also funny so as i was coming up someone that had been a online creator had a very large following for a while. We had a very frank conversation with each other. And this person said to me, hey, listen, FYI, uh, this is going to happen to you. It happens to everyone that's a creator. They even have consultants at you know, Google that warn other creators about it. So you know, your online persona starts to bleed into your persona. There's like what your fans know you for, how they relate to you can you know and what you become known for can start to mold who you are and mold your own persona and it 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 can blur the line a little bit and you know, he said you know it's something to watch out for right i mean so like as people are looking at me as this activist as this thing and you know it's you know i'm starting to take that on as my identity you know you know before that was you know i made this content i was a person that made this content that, that felt true to me and stuff but you know pe you know people start to see me a certain way and then you know i started to act that way that people saw me right you know thousands of people say like oh you're a you're an activist you're an icon you're this and then i start to behave more in that fashion Right. And so, uh, you know, and then suddenly you see yourself, you, know, you start to take yourself a little bit too seriously. Right. I mean, we've seen this play out in the news multiple times where some public figure will start to believe their own press clippings. And, you know, you, you blur that line. So, in that, I, I've, you know, he said that to me at the time and I was like, okay. And then, you know, then to watch it play out, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this person was was a hundred percent accurate in how this is going. Right. You know, at the time he said it to me, I mean I had had 
I was known, but I wasn't, you know, as, you know, as well known as I became later on, you know. Now, so, you know, a lot of people, probably not everybody listening because my listeners are all running around doing 5,000 things. So maybe this isn't their dream, but, but it is true. I've, I gave a talk once at like a elementary school. And I asked what people wanted to be and like uniformly 95% of the kids said they wanted to be an influencer, a YouTuber, you know, something like that. And so as somebody who has done this, like you, you came from, you know, really, you know, like a normal person, just whatever, to being somebody who has a huge following, has really built something over the years. What would be your advice to somebody who says like, I want to, I want to do this. I want to be an influencer. I want to build a huge following online. Like what is the piece of advice you would give them? Yeah. So, I mean, what it is, is just, I, it's about just finding, it sounds so corny. It's finding your voice and finding something that's true to you. Cause I think that was, you know, yes, making content was a, you know, was a turning point for me, obviously like ma making it consistently you know, started to change things. But as I was doing that, I, I found something that was authentic to me. And, you know, as you're speaking from your authentic voice, as corny as this all sounds, you know, that is resonant with people like, uh, you know, other people can res you know, it resonates with them. They go, you know what, I feel the same way. I have the same interests. I have the same concerns at the same, you know, I find the same things funny. I find, find the same things not funny. And, you know, the, I feel like the online space is large enough for, you know, everyone's interest and micro interest. I mean, if you're, you know, if you like finance, if you like, you know, DIY projects and stuff like that, it, you know, there's, there's a space for that. There are people that share that interest and that, you know, they'll, you find each other. And, you know, as long as it's something authentic and I, cause I, you know, I, you know, you do see people online and, you know, where it's just, they're just, they don't really have a real identity. They're just trying to, you know, be likable to everyone all the time. Eh, you know what I mean? Like I, I never, you know, I never like sought out to be an influencer. I just was like, you know, let me get a lot of followers and, you know, be able to, you know, make content. And I mean, it, it was just like, let me be an entertainer. I just wanted to be, to entertain and, you know, ha not do my day job. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't want to do real estate forever. Um, but yeah, I, that is, that is, uh, that is funny. You had, you had a bunch of kids that all of them said, I want to be, they didn't say I want to be an out, a cowboy, an astronaut, a fireman. Oh, and they said, I want to be an influencer. That's, that's wild. Like, how old were these kids? Elementary school? Third grade. It was influencer number one, like, and then way down the list, illustrator. So that, that's just data for you. Uh, and I think your advice is good. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of like, you know, nobody can be you as well as you can. So find the you that is most core to who you are and just go out and be yourself. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, you look at the online influencer space and it, it does look very crowded on the outset, but as you look in, you know, look inside, you see a lot of people, they come and they go. This is not something that people can do long-term. Pe people start to burn out. 
financially they burn out because they don't see any payoff, right? I mean, how long are you going to keep making something and have it not yield any return before you go, you know what, this is, I got to figure out something else. I have to, you know, have a household to provide for and so on and so forth. So, you know, you, you see, I see that a lot. I mean, I go through that myself. You know, there's months that are unsuccessful where I'm like, all right, what am I even doing here? And, um, and, and it is fun though, like to see, to have someone come up to me on the street and go, you know what, like you're, you know, last year was very stressful around the election time. You actually got me through that election and thank you. And, you know, I, I despair about what's happening in the world. And then I see your comedy and it sort of gives me energy and gives me the serotonin and you know, dopamine that I need to, you know, to move forward and stuff. So that is reassuring to go, all right, you know what, like this is having an impact, you know, cause you know, you just see a bunch of numbers as you upload a video. It's not always, you know, doesn't sound as telling. Yeah. The, there's a lot more behind the metrics. Everybody go check out Walter's content. You will learn what we're talking about. YouTube.com Walter Masterson. Right. You can see all of this long form content that I make where I go to these crazy fringe rallies, gun shows, QAnon rallies, and interview people. And you can see a side of America that you normally would not get to see. You're not going to see it really in the media. You're not going to see people spill, you know, uh, I don't go to these things to really debate people. What happens is I go there, you know, as them, and they tend to speak to me very agreeably. And they say a lot more than they would uh, if they were being, you know, guarded in about their speech. So go check it out. Walter Masterson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, man. FOMO. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMO Sapiens.com. FOMO.